You're tuned in to the Trademark Productions podcast, discussing all things web, tech, marketing, design, and business from sunny Detroit. Sound good? Let's get started. All right, it's another edition of the Trademark Productions podcast radio show. And this week, we've got two entrepreneurs in a aspect, or I guess in our, in our motive to bring more entrepreneurship that's happening in the Detroit metro area, um, to talk more people that are utilizing technology and marketing to do better things here in the city. Everybody feel free to pop in when we want to. But uh, with us today, uh, Dario Sharini, this is our marketing director, but we also have our guest, John Dimsmoski. Demoski, yes. did okay. Managing partner over at Harmon Partners, and also at M and A Advisors. And he was awarded a 2012 40 under 40, and he also had a D Business Award in 2014 for 30 in their 30s. Yes. And this guy doesn't even look 30. He looks <laughs> 27, 28, maybe. So Thank you. Thank he just made the made the cut on that there. And uh, also turnaround business of the year, or turnaround for yourself as far as that up for the year. Uh, yes, my partner and I, we won a turnaround of the year for some work that we did with one of our clients here in Michigan. Okay, great. And then the other, uh, our other guest, Shander Moore, he's just a principal lead designer at Cog Studio. I said Cog Studio, right? Said your That's last right. name, okay? Yes. 2015 Enterprising Woman of the Year Award, Enterprising Woman Magazine, and a master's degree in architecture from the University of Detroit Mercy. Thank you guys both for popping by Royal Oak today to hang out with us and talk about some of the spirits and what you guys are bringing to Turn the city around. You're okay. It's okay. You didn't get shocked, did you? No. Okay. <laughs> Keep you safe. So seemingly on opposite spectrums of the business world, the Shannon owning an architectural design firm and John working in a strategic business advisory and finance business in the metropolitan area. There's really a lot of something to be said um, <clears throat> about when an individual with an entrepreneur spirit but it's, it's really a whole new strategy when entrepreneurs choose to still be in the city with everything that's been going on, everything that's essentially happened, um, where everything's at. Uh, it, it's always viewed as a failure, but we seem to be also the, the comeback city in a lot of different ways across the country. So this podcast is going to talk a little bit more about what prompted them, their belief in Detroit, their ad- advice to aspiring entrepreneurs, and even charity work they've been committed to be as part of of what they're doing, their desire to give back to the community as a whole. You're right. Sorry. So as I was saying before that, before we had the technical difficulty. Um, but yeah, I mean, why you know why Detroit when when um, seemingly nobody else wants to believe in it? So back to the the basic question. Um, you know, you grew up in California. Um, there's lots of great cities throughout the throughout the country, but you know what what attracted you to actually so the- set up shop? within the city limits of, you know, Detroit proper? Um, I, I decided to stay here in Detroit because I feel like Detroit needs more um, work, especially for youth and young professionals. And um, when I came here in 2004, to um, I was working with another firm at that time, and that's when I decided to just kind of stay. Um, I went back and forth to California and my husband is from here, and he lives in Detroit, so he's always wanted to go to the suburbs. But being an architect in the city that you're trying to change, it's important to stay right. within the city because you can't say, you know, well, people are peeing on my building. Well, you don't even live here, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's um, 
hard to say that we're changing the world when you don't live in the city. Yeah. I so think it's a fair assessment. Putting your money where your mouth is, basically. Pretty much. Um, John, Dwight touched on it at the beginning, but you guys are kind of in opposite, opposite ends of the spectrum. Obviously, Detroit has – it's well documented. There's a lot of great architecture that's kind of since gone, you know, left to left there to die. But typically when people think of Metro Detroit, correct me if I'm wrong, but they might think Birmingham, Troy, Farmington as more – even, I guess, maybe Southfield as more financial hubs. Right. Um, they might not necessarily think of Detroit like we would think in other cities, yeah. the downtown area. Um, how much of a challenge was that for you to attract people down there, um, you know, within your specific field? Because I think the art creative side of Detroit, there's a lot of excitement about, but maybe from a real business, real business perspective, um, meaning finance or something like that, that might not be as alluring. You know, no disrespect to the finance industry. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I think it's an, it's, it's an interesting point of view, I think. Historically, especially even when we opened uh, Harmon Partners back in 2012, I think that definitely was the perception. I think if you look at Detroit today um, and you look at the, the kind of the revitalization that's occurred in the city, um, I think the perspective is a lot different. I think there are a lot of young professionals that are that are staying in the city, whereas before we had problems with people going to the good universities here and then leaving to go out of state mm-hmm. to find work. Sure. Well, now you're finding people that are staying here and actually moving downtown. So I think the thought of um, finding jobs and professionals, whether it be in the finance industry, architect, marketing, whatever it may be, they're staying in the city and there's opportunities there. So I think the perception of Detroit today is a little different than what it was maybe a couple years ago. How much do you think that Gilbert and all his buying power and that marketing and PR machine that he's running is, is really putting a good bespoke on all of this? Or is this too much underwritten that I think maybe locally a lot of us are more – inclined to think that it is a little bit of, I mean, it's it's a building sale, mm-hmm. right? They're on sale, closeout deals, right. you know, get them while they're cheap. And he's buying up, he's got, you know, he's, he's, he's parlaying his, his, you know, deferring any type of profit that he's making onto those to buy those. Sure. It's smart business in a lot of ways, but a lot of us may see around all of that. Mm-hmm. When the CNN, the Fox News, the nightly news really has a perception of, you know, everything's horrible here, everything's shitty, but... People are buying, and you know, these businesses are starting down here. You got all these incubators, and all these other great things happen. Yeah, no, I think he's been a key driver to what's happened down there. I mean, that is the big name that everyone's associated with, right? So you've got the Illich family and Duggan now, right? Mm-hmm. And Duggan, and you've, you've got you know the Gores family um, that, have, that have all done quite a bit. But um, you know, he'd actually be perfect for this podcast, right? Here's a guy who was kind of homegrown here as well, went to Michigan State University, and has reinvested in, in, in the city. So while he's got many other ventures. He's been kind of the, the one leading the charge down there. Um, I think that's what a lot of people can really assimilate with and, and understand as far as the revitalization of Detroit. They see what Rock Ventures has done. Bad Rock, you go down there, and their name's plastered everywhere. He's oh, yeah. made it a safer city. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He's cleaning it up. So he's investing. And when you see a name like that invest, it obviously brings other investors to the table, which Absolutely. is what, what we need. Now, the Riverwalk is five miles long and it's located in downtown Detroit. And for those that are not, that are outside of the area, that is definitely a destination when you come down here to the city because it really does capture a beautiful part of the city, especially on a spring or summer day. Today is not the day. Zero degrees, <laughs> snow, probably, uh, probably ice, not. ice barges, looking at the casino winds or glow is not the day. But any other time, when it's a little warmer, that's definitely a place you want to go. There was an investment over $154 million, and it was divided into two different parts, the landscaping and the pavilions. So 8,000 square feet of pavilions are located a mile and a half apart along the river. And you've got security, which is definitely a focus because of just everything that happens with large events. We do have a lot of large events that, that the Riverwalk does partake in. 
um, restrooms, bike rental concession stands, and ample seating just to, you know, run around there on your rollerblades or your bike or whatever and chill and hang out. So, Chandra, did I say that right? Chandra. Chandra, Chandra sorry. Like a guy. Chandra, <laughs> well, this is one of your design projects is redesigning Detroit's Riverwalk. So can you tell us about the project and the revitalization? I gave you that, that kind of intro about it all. But, I mean, tell us what inspired all of this and how this all came about. Yeah, so um, this is when I wasn't at COG at the very beginning. This is when I was at Smith Group. And um, I was at Smith Group for about eight years of my time. Um, and there I was designing for St. Jude Children's Hospital. And um, they had asked if I can come back and also help design the Riverwalk and the pavilions because the donors, they loved everything that was going on, but the um, majority of the money was going towards the um, the focus of the fact that it was in ruins and the water was it was damaging the sides. And so... They asked if I can like do the, the pavilions. Yeah, and so then therefore, like all of the water is just damaging the the sides. And so, what ended up happening is they asked if you know who can help design these right. pavilions. And so I call them fancy toilets because <laughs> in my mind, from California, that's just really what they are in my mind. Um, so it was an honor to help and lead that project. It was small; those were my babies, and um, it was nice to just be a part of that and help change the city. So. We, that's what the pavilions did. Let me. Let me I, I love the Riverwalk, by the way. It's, it definitely is um, that with the DeQuinder cuts. Really, mm-hmm. definitely one of the nicer places to go. Um, and DeQuinder is evolving too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Down through. Yeah. Now. But let me throw a question out there. I guess to, to both of you guys. Do you think too much of the development that's done in Detroit is driven around this sort of destination? Like we get people to the riverfront. The riverfront's nice, but don't go. You know, two miles off the riverfront. Yeah, get off at 75 yeah. south or get off at the 375 to Jefferson. You can do the loop-de-loop and you're good. Right. And then get home. I, yeah. I guess is the main question is, are, is it is a development that's going on um, being done from a perspective of that's sustainable but also creating a livable city? Um, I mean, even within Royal Oak, the little downtown, it's if you live here, you still got to get in your car and drive to go get something versus in any other major city you walk out and you have your dry cleaner, your pharmacy, et cetera, et cetera. So do you think too much of that is, and I'm just being devil's advocate, mm-hmm. um, I'm a Detroit cheerleader, so do you think too much of that development has been done as like a destination, we're going to have a new arena and stadium, we have you know, uh, a great football stadium and you know, baseball stadium? Well, the money only goes so far, and I think people kind of sometimes forget that, so yeah. they, they forget the fact that, well, we would all love the whole of Detroit to be you know, together. I would love for Cody Rouge area to... Um, be awesome just because those kids over there in Cody they need something of that nature I would love for Heidelberg Park to be phenomenal mm-hmm. you know for those kids there so people forget that the money only goes so far so if you start with the master plan what the city has this master plan you know it stops at a certain point <laughs> and that's just because money can only go so far mm-hmm. and Dan Gilbert what he's done in the city is phenomenal and no matter how you look at it we as architects you know whether you think it's positive or negative it's still something positive because no one else is doing anything else. Right. So um, I appreciate what he's doing. And so I think going from that point of view, I think it's important. Um, but I think we can't – I think it's going to take time. It took forever for Detroit to get this way. So it's going to be the same. Yeah, I, I agree with Chandra. I mean, I think that, you know, the resources are limited, right? 
and um, it's taken a number of years for Detroit to kind of get to where it's been, and it's not going to get fixed overnight. So right. as opposed to taking those funds and spreading them across and just doing a little in each area, there's some concentration, but I think it's good. I mean, there's definitely pockets in Detroit. It's not just the Riverwalk area. There's other pockets that are growing as well. Right. Yeah. And just over time, we got to make sure that we connect those pockets. Right. Which I think, which I think that they are doing. You know, um, I think that Midtown is doing something great, and so they are in the works of doing their thing, and everyone's doing something very special. Um, so it, we are starting to connect as a city, and I think now with um, the mayor in place, it helps immensely to right. t- for trying to figure out how we all tie together. Well, we, we, we came through a point now where we've gotten rid of some obstacles. We've gotten rid of some uh, revenue drainers, um, focus of attention in the wrong places, all the corruption and all the other components that have been lagged and anchored, really progress in a lot of different ways. And it seems like we're... Now over that hump where things can, the healing can happen, mm-hmm. and we can start to look at these things that actually let us show you what we can do. Let us show what we can put down here. We're going to invest this money, and something good is going to happen out of it. You're going to see. Absolutely. Not the same old, same old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. John, your business specifically looks at to help companies through consulting, corporate financing. Give me one second here. We are just having probably the best time ever with all of the environmental sounds that could potentially be happening in this office right now. We normally don't do the podcast in this location. We had to kind of co-locate with some of the equipment and we couldn't have, I mean, we could have been in a, a glass house or maybe a metal box. And, <laughs> or a shooting range. Or sh- that could have worked as well. Every vibration. Or a farm. <laughs> Sorry, that's how it works. It's Detroit style. We it just ha- let it happen the way it does. So it's this fine. is that's how it works. But Corporate financing and exit planning, uh, consulting, that's how you help a lot of companies in and around the metro area. Um, If the company's failing or they simply want to sell and they look for other opportunities. So in your experience with companies in Detroit and the metro area, what cases have worked uh, or what cases have you worked on that you felt have done the most good in giving back or it's been good as overall progress as a whole? Sure. It's, well, you know, it's it's a question to take a lot in on and... um, it's kind of a fully loaded question, but... And 30 seconds ago. All right. I mean, our company specifically helps um, companies in the lower end of the middle market, right? So we help privately held businesses, um, people's, people that we can relate to, people with families, people who have invested everything into their business. And if it fails, then they fail, and, and you've got kind of this, this legacy you leave behind of failure, and you worry about, you know, how are the kids' tuitions going to get paid and what's going to be left behind for retirement and whatnot. Um and what we've seen over the course of time is we've seen both sides of the spectrum. We've we've helped companies that were that were hurting during the downtimes here, yeah. and it's obviously very rewarding and, and very um, uh, self fulfilling to, to be able to, to take a business that was on the brink of having its doors closed um, and working with that business owner to revitalize that business and get it going again and save those jobs, not only that of the owners but that of all the employees and all of their families. So that's been successful and rewarding, and we've done that in a number of instances. And then days like today, or times like we have now, where Detroit's, uh, Detroit's kind of booming, as the nation is, but having the manufacturing base here and, and that sector really growing, we're helping help companies grow. You know, some, some individuals, some of these privately held businesses are looking at taking monies off the table from the exit planning strategy. Sure. So like, all right, I've done what I've done, times are good. How do I liquidate? How do I, how do I kind of pass this on either to a second generation and make sure that my family's taken care of 
or how do I just step away and enjoy the kind of the fruits of my labor? So I think it's all been rewarding. Anytime you can help an owner achieve whatever goal they're looking to get to, um, however they define success, if we can help them achieve that, that's what's really important. And it's not, not always is, is the, the goal at the beginning what you expect to be at the end. One, one question to kind of piggyback that thought. Do you think that, um, you know, with the, with the economy kind of tanked and banks and all these other things, you know, it seems like we've got two ends of the spectrum. We did a, a, a post not too long ago about the Detroit Soup, which is like the micro grants where people go and pitch their business idea mm-hmm. and walk out with $1,000. Sure. And it seems like there's a lot of these little, you know, groups that can put together two, three, four, five thousand $5,000, which, you know, maybe to do some building repairs or something might be enough. But, right. you know, you've got that middle segment, it seems like, that you guys uh, service that can't go to the bank and right. get money. And I think that piece is probably critical not only in Detroit, but nationwide, but maybe more so here because you have a lot of these entrepreneurs that are coming back and want to start businesses but can't get funded. And mm-hmm. Dan Gilbert's only got so much money and Detroit Soup only has so much money. So do you see, you know, your role and or maybe even some competitors or people in your space as being critical to moving Detroit, you know, over that hump um, to get more of those small and medium-sized businesses back within, you know, preferably the city limits, but maybe within the greater metro area so they're not, you know, uh, shutting the doors and going somewhere else or yeah i mean definitely i think the industry um even you know the competitors that we have and what they do i mean if you look at some of the on, on the larger end of the spectrum um people that would be competitors to us really help the city through some difficult times playing the role of financial advisor through the bankruptcy process and then you know there's firms like mine that on the lower end are definitely helping um, either of those companies that were in distress or to your point, there's a lot of there's a lot of young professionals with a lot of great ideas that are coming down there and they want to do things. They want to invest in the city. The restaurant boom in the right. last you know, six months or whatever it's been. Absolutely. So where does that seed money come from? It's hard to get traditional financing from a bank or yeah. a startup company. So, you know, it's great. We you know, we have uh, extensive networks with lenders. There's a lot of programs, a lot of governmental programs to help growth within the within the state of Michigan. There's a lot of programs to help people start things in the city of Detroit. There's a lot of private equity money out there right now that wants to, to, to invest in the city. So it's, it's good to know what those programs are and who those people are and um, kind of be involved. You're right. Dan Gilbrook only has so much. He's only <laughs> going to invest in so many things. Um, but there's a, a plethora of ideas out there and people that are really just energized to, to kind of get things going down there. Mm-hmm. You know, this is an open question, but for the two of you, how much experience have you had working with or have you heard about other businesses working with the Detroit Economic Growth Corporation and the pros and cons of doing so? Um, from our architecture standpoint, we work with DGC often. I mean, they mm-hmm. help. They we just they just had a DTD conference, which was phenomenal, where you were able to meet one on ones with the people that I've been trying to meet forever. You know, because from Cogpoint stand of view, we don't get a lot of work in Detroit. We are based here, and we started here, but our niche is so unique that Detroit's just trying to figure out how to live right mm-hmm. now. Let alone try to figure out how to Make help it look youth. pretty. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how to help young professionals, you know, have a walkable space or how to help those who have kids and married and that newborn, what do you do with that kid for daycare? Like, yeah. Detroit's not worrying about that right now. So for us, we get a lot of our work from out of state. And um, so DGC does help, and they started to help us a lot more this year. But in the past three years, it, 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 that wasn't the case. And so um, there's a lot of red tape yeah. here in Michigan mm-hmm. to, even, to it, even start a business. It, it, do you think that's diminishing? Because I, I've heard you know friends that have tried to start businesses <clears throat> probably you know three to five years ago, but 
that was always the pushback of it's just it's it's not business friendly. And it's tough when you're making that pitch to, hey, come and invest, but then you get held up in... You know, we have the same problem, I mean, uh, ironically, with Royal Oak. Hmm. As much as you feel that they are business-friendly in a lot of ways, they're just oppressing in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. which doesn't make it business-friendly. So it's almost like, like I just learned recently the amount of incentives Ferndale has wow. for business owners as opposed to what Royal Oak has. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes you wonder, like, why would they be doing that to themselves? Because they're on deficit. Absolutely, and it doesn't make you, as a business, want to stay. Like, even though we started here, mm-hmm. we started from Incubator, from DC3, which sure. was phenomenal, you know. And without DC3, I know for a fact that I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, but we didn't have any financing. They didn't give us any financing. No. They just gave us a space, and you had to do persistence and dedication. And that's the Detroit Creative Corridor? Yeah. yeah. In the Detroit Creative Corridor Center, that's what helped us. And so with that... I've been able to just definitely jump out, and here we are, six employees later. <laughs> we have a space in Wayne State, and um, but none of our work comes from this city. <laughs> so I'm. There's the su- oxymoron. Yeah, yeah we're, we're successful, absolutely. But out of what we we've made over a million dollars a year last year, and maybe ten percent came from Detroit. Wow, that's unfortunate. What was your just do it moment? And then when you decided that you could just make the leap and to start your own business, you were done of it. It's a very, very scary time. Um, uh, obviously, you can only forecast out so many different things. I remember mine myself. Um, you, 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 there's so many things. And as you get older, you have so many other things to worry about because you mature. You start to become a little bit more in touch with reality, so to speak. Um, well, John, let's start with you. Yeah, I can I can remember it like it was yesterday. Actually, um, I was sitting there with my with my current partner today, and uh, we were having lunch, and we both just wanted more out of our careers, right? We both wanted to control our own destiny, and um, we both had been battling with some some similar type issues. And when we started to kind of brainstorm and think through it, and we said, "All right, what are our options?" Um, we thought about some of the, the the hesitations or some of the obstacles out there. Being in this industry, a lot of times they want someone that looks a little little more seasoned. I mean, to, to your point earlier, maybe I look like I'm 27, but I have a good amount of experience, right? And a lot of times when someone's hiring, started working a, when you were six, so. yeah, exactly. <laughs> when people are hiring a financial advisor, they want to see someone oftentimes a little more seasoned. But so we thought about some of those obstacles, and at the end of the day, we said, you know, if we're going to bet on someone, why not bet on ourselves? We believe in ourselves. We think we do good work. We have we have a great network of, of referral sources and friends, and um, you know this is this is this is the time, right? So this is the city to do it in, and uh, we took that chance, and here we are, almost three years later, and it's just been a great ride, as successful as can be. It goes quick too. Oh man, it's like yesterday. Mm-hmm. It really is. Chandra, what about you? Um, my just do it moment was, um, you know, I've been in Arctic for fifteen years, and I'm. 37. I'll be 38 in a couple months here. It's another and, one um, under there in the 20s here. <laughs> and um, I don't know. When I became a mom, I became a wife, and then I became a mom. And my daughter got sick one day, and I got in trouble for um, wanting to work from home. And I just thought, I've worked in China and in London and San Francisco. And here I am at a very small firm, and I'm getting in trouble from working from home for my daughter. So because yeah, you're a child. Yeah. So then I just said, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and so then I said... If I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to do it for myself. And then I figured out, don't be a fool and jump out here and be an architect for the world. Why? Because the world is, everyone she knows is an architect. So I figured out what niche do I want to get up and go to bed with doing every day. 
and that's young professionals and youth. What um, what type of hardships did you face when you first started the business? Oh a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, being a woman in this profession is difficult, and um, really, it's very difficult. You know, and, see, and so you know, I always thought women have it so easy in life too. Yeah, yeah. No, but I'm saying from a business perspective. Um, there's usually a lot of more opportunities, grants, loans, preference to to women or to um, minorities mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And that's all true but different, you know, and it's difficult. Sure. So um, the challenges that we kind of faced and the hardships were um, really just getting to want to have the passion to continue to keep going, yeah. especially when – you would get used to somebody, um, and you probably went through this, John, when you would get some used to an employee or a contract employee, and then, you know, they they know so much, and you've taught them so much, but they have to fly to their next destination. Yep. And so that's always hard when you're a team of one. And so I think regardless of how much um, revenue we've brought in, and I think regardless of the team that we've had, that's been the hardest part for me, I think, is the... Um, Learning to be a team of one and learning to be okay with being a team of one. Yeah, having uh, committee meetings with yourself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Asking yeah. yourself, what would you do? What yeah. do you want to do with this? Yeah, and then yeah. just going to bed at night thinking, so am I doing everything right? And then when you finally do get a team, um, you're grateful for them. You know, I have a wonderful team yeah. now. And it took three years to get here to get a wonderful team. You got to prune it. Yeah. Got to prune it to make it grow. What about you, John? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of similar cases there. I mean, you know, I already touched on the fact that um, the youth or the age played into it a little bit. Um, also, when we started our firm, um, you know, our experiences were, were really geared around turnaround management and uh, times of distress. And in 2012, you know, that corner had been slightly turned. Yeah. So it really wasn't a time for people to be entering the turnaround market, but here we were. Um, fortunately, we could offer enough other services during times that were going good that we were able to kind of get some... Uh, get some traction there and get the firm going. But but definitely the uh, the age factor played in. And, you know, to Chandra's point, I mean, you know, the growing pains. You know, where does the work come from? You finally get the work. You know, it's a catch-22. Mm-hmm. When do you hire someone? Mm-hmm. You get the work first. Yeah, collecting receivables. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you get someone, you train them, you grow the business. And, and what does that mean? Do you want mm-hmm. to convert it from an independent contractor to an employee? Mm-hmm. And and then if you do, you're all of a sudden making a commitment to that, that person and their family. And Absolutely. what does that mean for you and your family? So and the government. The government's a whole other issue. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not even go there. It's part two of this uh, series. <laughs> trying to figure out how taxes work. It's a whole other Yeah, issue. it's a whole other. Oh, yeah. goodness gracious. Yeah. Let's not end on a sour note. No, 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 no. Or we're going to just talk a little bit about um, success and what success means for you. Um, Hemingway defined it as it's good to have an end to a journey toward, uh, but it is the journey that matters in the end. And I've also heard things about it's not the life you live, but it's how you live your life. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Something. <laughs> <laughs> or as Mr. Brady said, no matter where you go, there you are. Exactly. <laughs> we always remember the Bradys too. But success, what, what does it mean for you, Chandra? Um, success is something that you just keep def- you keep defining. You know, I don't think, it? yeah, you, there is no way of just being like, I'm so successful, you know, because there was a point in time in my career where I thought I was successful because I was traveling all over the world. I was making six figures. I was by myself. 
But then you get up to that high and you realize, like, this is lonely up here. You know, and so, um, so when you think you meet success, it's just something that you just keep defining over and over and over again. So what I've learned, I just told my team the other day, was um, a star is not a star without a, a supporting cast. And so I think you can't be a star if you don't have a supporting cast. And that supporting cast for me is my team. So I think as long as you're successful, I think once your team is able to be behind you, you can shine and you can start to create that success. But without your supporting cast, it's hard to be successful by yourself. You can you can lead, you can have the ideas, but yeah. you definitely need all of those other elements around it to, to make execute. that, yeah. you know, that you success can't just, happen. You can't just <laughs> let it happen. So I think it's something that you just keep learning. Yeah, you summarized it for me. What about you, Jen? No, I think Chandra makes an excellent point. Um, again, it does continue to redefine itself. I mean, I think... When you get out of school, it's it's one thing, right? And then, you know, maybe get a job. Yeah, get a job. That's success. <laughs> Make some money. That's success. Get off. You know, get off your parents' insurance. Insurance. That's success. Yeah, you got to get insurance too. Um, and I, I, th- I think you continue to define it. I think you have to set goals time and time again so that you do have something to strive for. But at the end of the day, I don't think you can define success until it's all said and done, right? It's the legacy you leave behind. Do people sit back and look at you that that you're a person of integrity, a person with credibility? Did you really leave your mark on this journey? What did you do to help? Um, you know, at the end of the day, we're all in this together, right? And we all have the same issues we got to deal with. We all have the same problems we got to deal with. So, what did we all do to kind of give our kind of kind of chip in and give our hand on this? And I think that's how you define success. Yeah. Are we going to close to wrap up here? Because I had one final, yeah, open-ended question. Um, kind of piggybacking that, I think what we've seen both here internally when we've been interviewing people and, you know, people coming in and out, and you're probably seeing the same thing as well. It seems more like it's not just about a job or a paycheck. People want to work in something that they're interested in or they're, you know, some not necessarily cause-related in terms of nonprofit, but they want to feel like they're a part of something and not just going to a job. And it seems like that's a little bit of the spirit, too, in Detroit now in terms of, you know, Corktown or Midtown or, you know, different areas of the city. There's a little more behind it, people putting a lot of the sweat equity, not just, you know, money into it. Um... I guess as part of that, do you guys think that that's the type of entrepreneurial spirit that, you know, bring this full circle to Detroit that we need to get over the hump? And I guess the second part of that would be, you know, what's the sales pitch to get people back here or downtown or, you know, in any of these neighborhoods to maintain that growth? So in five years, we're having a totally different conversation than we are now or five years ago. Because I was away, too, for 12 years, and I would always watch it. And it was these sort of peaks and valleys. You know, there would be a little announcement about something, and then it would kind of flatline and never go anywhere. But it seems like we've gotten some progress. It's just how do we The know, motivation with all of those over the past century, um, you know, the past 20, 25, 30 years have been politically, you know, pocket-lining motivation. Right. So you had all those things to, to sway polls or to sway things in a certain direction or this or that. Um I mean, Fakano just went through his whole rampant. You know what I mean? It's like he's been vindicated. A lot of shaking heads at this table here, but we won't we won't go there. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to hear on, on on your aspect on these. What was the question? Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I guess we've been talking about you know being entrepreneurs and building businesses, and you know as a parallel to that, Detroit and this resurgence and trying to you know, push it to another level. Um, I guess, do we feel that, you know, entrepreneurs like you guys, um, is that needed force to move it? Because it doesn't seem like it's going to be the big 
you know, corporations moving in and, and uh, you know, turning things around. It seems like it needs to be more organic from that small to medium-sized level. Those individual entrepreneurs that build these teams of two, three, four, five, and build it up from there. Do you guys feel that's what, you know, Detroit needs to kind of get over that hump? And the second part of that was, you know, kind of make your sales pitch of, you know, what we started with, why Detroit, why now, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's a combination of both, right? I don't think you'd have a lot of the, the smaller if you didn't have some of the larger corporations. Like if you didn't have Gilbert back there doing what he was doing, mm-hmm. you probably wouldn't have the um, some of the attraction for some of the smaller groups to do it. And right, those smaller groups like we talked about, we need some of the funding. Mm-hmm. I think it's 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 kind of a collaborative effort. I think you need both. Um, and if you see what's going on right now in the city, there is both. You see some of the big names and you see a lot of smaller firms. You see a lot of people moving back to the city. Right? When I started my career uh, back in 1998, coming out of college, all the major firms were located in downtown. And slowly over time, everyone kind of moved out to the suburbs. And now what I'm seeing from a lot of people is everyone's starting to move back into the city. Everyone wants to have a presence there, whether it's just a satellite office or a major investment. So yeah. I think you really need both. And Detroit's going to save Detroit, you know. Um me being from California, it's very different, the, the dynamic there and what's happening here in the city. So I think now Detroit's realizing that no one's going to come in and save them. And I think everyone is realizing that Detroit is going to save Detroit. So if you're going to start your entrepreneurship, this is the time to do it now. Um, but what Detroit, I think, is having the hiccup in, in you know, when it comes to like even what we're doing. If you don't um, feed a child, they will not stay, you know, and that's that's just reality. Mm-hmm. So you may have been be able to have been birthed here, but the reality is if you don't feed me, then I have to go where I'm getting fed. Right. So like let's take like the method, the soap, right? They were birthed here. They had an idea here, but Detroit didn't feed them. Right. So that's a good point. They moved to California where they get fed. Right. So there comes a point to where, like John, an entrepreneur, me, <laughs> you know, an entrepreneur, we can get you can get birthed anywhere, but who is going to be your parent? And so once you find out who your parents are, that's where you go, you know. So if Detroit, we can create all these births, you know, and we can all these entrepreneurships can happen from all these incubators, but if nobody is helping feed us, mm-hmm. you can't stay. Because then you you die, and eating is more important than saying, "I'm so for Detroit." Right. right. So you'll be for Detroit for a season, absolutely, till your purpose is up, and then um, when your season and time is up, you're going to go where you get fed. Yeah, the reality is, is you do need to have that positive environment, that reinforcing environment. Uh, the troops need to be rallied Absolutely. on a regular basis, and there has to be all the elements put into place. Um, this could go on and on and on of all the missing components from it, um, but those are some of the key components that is mm-hmm. needed for entrepreneurship to flourish. Absolutely. We've been a part of Grand Circus, um, Bamboo. We've, we've had stints, and we've actually looked and moving and co-locating down there as well, but we're also finding that there is not so much of that parenting that's mm-hmm. going on. It's more of, hey, I, um, I got a building. And was that a great deal? I pulled my money with some investors, and I can get you in here. It's going to be 
an absorbent amount of money because this is the in spot. This is the, the incubator. This is the tech place. So I think we have a little bit of some on, we have a couple layers of the onion to peel back. Some of the the bruised uh, rotting portions of it that we need to cut and throw away and, and, and make all of this intuitive to each other because there's so much positive want and need of people mm-hmm. wanting to go there. They want to pay the $40 parking tickets. Mm-hmm. They want to have a hard time parking. They want to do all these things because Absolutely. they want to feel the metropolitan vibe of everything. And I think with the millennials now up and coming and everybody having such great ideas and so low cost to define and put a product to market in a lot of ways, it's it's just ripe, mm-hmm. completely ripe. Mm-hmm. We went way over, kept you guys way past your time, but... Thanks for having us. Thanks yeah, for having thank us you. down. I, I, or thanks. For, they, thank you guys for coming down. I definitely appreciate it and dealing with all this beautiful sounding conditions and everything else. Next time it's going to be dark, mood lit, <laughs> semi broadcast it live too, so it'll look really good. You can point all your friends over. We'll have links on our uh, on our on our on our site with a recap of this blog uh, to, to both of them here as well, and you'll be able to hear us on SoundCloud and our iTunes channel as well. So thank you thanks very much. Dar, you got anything thanks. less? You look like you're egging to say something. No, no, no. I mean, we could continue this discussion for hours, but you know, we'll, save we'll have another. We'll beer. save that for we'll another day. offline. Thanks. Yeah, thank Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. Remember, you can post comments or want to be on the show. Head on over to tmprod.com and hit the podcast section. All content on this show is copyright by Trademark Productions or their respectful owners and cannot be reproduced without express permission. Thanks for being a part of rebuilding Detroit with us.